This is the Realm of Agape Christian Church. You will find me in Genesis, the first chapter, verses 27 and 28. That's the core scripture for this ongoing message. We're yet in the Living Truth series. Now we're back to part three, what the Bible actually teaches on women. God is good. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 in the New Century Virgin reads as follows. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said, have many children and grow in number. Fill the earth and be its master. Rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God, we thank you for this scripture. Continue to please illuminate our minds. Reveal the truth of your word by your spirit. We thank you, Lord. Let a revival begin here in each and every one of us. Let the realm experience it corporately and let it bellow out. Oh, God, let it go forth out in ripples of a mighty stream of anointing from heaven and let the earth be blessed. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank God for this message as we are yet looking at the historical and cultural context that God intended for us all of us, to understand how men and women should respect each other. Is the historical and cultural construct of male headship to be comprehended as a type of freedom to interpret domination and inequality? Is the subordination of women a creation-given construct? You know, the Bible chronicles the effects of that construct and reveals heaven's preferred alternative. So let us continue to investigate the living truth reported in chapter two of Pastor Kevin Giles's book, uh, What the Bible Actually Teaches on Women. And today we're looking at complementarianism in crisis, complementarianism in crisis. Uh, The author reports that ever since the 1960s, um, evangelical and reformed Christians, you know, people who are staunch orthodox believers in certain Christendom truths, they have been bitterly divided over what the Bible actually teaches about the man-woman relationship. Uh, On one side, we have those ever since 1990. They have designated themselves as complementarians. And on the other side, we have evangelical egalitarians, and there are some people in the middle. Now, each of the main sides insists that they are, you know, exclusively teaching what the Bible says. It's hard to see if you don't take a microscopic look through the Holy Ghost, uh, what's actually being said in the scripture. How do we hermeneutically, uh, in a correct manner, Extrapolate truth. Amen. We're looking at that today. There has been a huge amount written 
by both sides saying much about the, almost the same thing, but you have to look carefully, uh, which can be confusing if you don't really look close enough, and so many do not, hence the confusion. You know, we need a breakthrough, my God, which is now possible for the first time. So for about 20 years, though, from the mid-1960s uh, to the late 1980s, there, there was a healthy an open debate in which both sides argued about the most likely interpretation of the disputed texts. The debate is an internationally uh, concerned uh, initiative, um, mostly in the following countries here in America, uh, over in England, upwards the north of us to Canada, and out across around the globe to Australia of all places. Pastor Giles took a part in a uh, professional debate, especially those several debates that happened in Australia. Some of the many debates he had are in print and others were in open public forums uh, back in 1987 with the publication of a certain statement called the Danvers Statement. Uh, it articulates what is now called the complementarian position. The debate came to an abrupt halt because the authors of the Danvers statement got really bold and claimed that they were solely teaching what the Bible teaches. And then if we go fast forward, amen, because that's a lot of notes, but in 2016, a seismic shift began to happen. Uh, in the latter part um, of 2016, the complementarians were shaken to their core when some of their own publicly and forcefully attacked the leaders of the complementarian party for teaching heresy of all things. Yes, their own people said it. By claiming the Bible hierarchically ordered the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and made this the ground for the hierarchical ordering of the genders. In the face of this onslaught, the leaders of the complementarian party had to renounce this issue. This was a huge defeat because they had argued that 1 Corinthians 11.3 clearly taught just this in the ESV. There's a reason I'm using the ESV, English Standard Version, you'll see later. It says, quote, but I want you to understand that the head, emphasis on head, head of every, um, of every man is Christ. And the head, emphasis on head, the head of a wife is her who? Husband, right? And the head of Christ is who? God. See, they're using that hierarchical methodology. What this um, means is that not only did they have to admit that eternally hierarchically ordering the divine persons uh, led to uh, another heresy, the Arian heresy, if you don't know about that, that's just in a nutshell, a heresy which states that Jesus is not eternal with the Father. Imagine us having hymns singing that. You know that would, that would be an erroneous hymn, right? Jesus, you're not all that. You're not like the Father. Now. No, come on. What kind of hymn is that? <laughs> but also their, their, their interpretation of this text had been wrong. 
What they had claimed was the undeniable and plain interpretation of 1 Corinthians 11.3. That was a mistake. Uh, On this verse, the egalitarians had been right all along. This was an earth-shaking admission. For in this verse, Paul did not hierarchically order in authority either the father and the son or man and woman. There's a growing opposition, and there's a lot of pressure these days now. So after 40 years of debate and division, the number of informed evangelicals with a high view of the Bible who have become persuaded egalitarians continues to grow and grow and grow. The list is getting bigger. Complementarians have not been able to convince other informed evangelicals that uh, that what they teach is what the Bible teaches. Those who think complementarianism does not reflect what the Bible actually teaches on women are among the most able evangelical theologians on the world scene. Many theologians and leaders were once complementarians, but because of this closer analysis, they have changed their minds. There's a big, big list, and uh, the recent list I read even was inclusive of the former president of the United States, Jimmy Carter, changed his mind. The complementarian biblical case has now collapsed. Another huge challenge for complementarians at this time is that they have lost almost every exegetical battle. You know, an exegesis when you take truth from the word, right? They lost almost every exegetical battle. Uh, They have fought in recent years. Most commentators now reject that Genesis chapters 1 through 3 subordinates women before the fall. Uh, Most studies agree that without a doubt, Jesus affirmed the equality of men and women. Most theologies of Paul conclude that he had a divinely conferred theology of ministry in which leadership in the church was given by the spirit that gender was inconsequential and that there was even a female apostle named Junia. Now, on the much disputed words, kephali, which means head, and authentian, uh, in, in, in the jury for these uh, words, if we look at it as a court case, the jury has, has given its verdict that these Greek words, kafali, head, can mean either head over or source. Of course, the complementarians like using the interpretation head over. But you cannot, uh, in a surfacey kind of way, use uh, improper hermeneutics when deciphering what Paul was speaking, though, in the New Testament, according to Aramaic and Greek cultures. Um, There are certain ways to look at it based on the situation and who's saying it, what audience and all of that. The tenses used in the various writings, um, you could consider strongly, and there's a lot of evidence, that it should be looked at as source. An authentian refers to a form of objectionable authority. So Paul was using authentian as though, you know, someone was doing something that should be objected because they were doing something that was considered a forced imposition. Somebody taking 
over somebody else, you know. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 33 through 36, one of the key complementarian proof texts, they use that text, on which allegedly silences women in the church settings, you know that scripture, has been shown to be almost certainly not from the pen of Paul. There's more evidence that he most likely did not write that part. Amen. So in Ephesians, Paul is not endorsing patriarchy, but seeking to subvert it. And he gives a distinctive understanding of Christian marriage where the husband gives himself for his wife as not a dominating head over, but a source of comfort like Christ, the source of comfort for his church. Amen. Uh, The exhortations to women and slaves to be subordinate or obedient are of exactly the same nature. A practical advice to those living in a culture that took the subordination of women and slavery for granted. Uh, The ones addressed to wives are not grounded in a supposed pre-fall subordination of women. And in the book that we were looking at before in Sermon 1 of this series, part three, uh, the Kostenbergers, remember them? Their book, God's Design. If you look in that book, they should have used exegetical, linguistic, and textual evidence to disprove their own thesis. But of course, they uh, escaped that. Uh, Even though they were defeated, uh, they ignored it altogether. How could you know you're wrong, but then act as if you're not wrong? Amen. Now, this brings us to applying complementarian teaching in our contemporary world. You cannot apply complementarian teaching in our contemporary world. It's just not possible. Think about it. In the affluent West that we live in, we all live in a profoundly egalitarian culture, if you look closely. It is assumed that women can do most things men can do, right? I said most things. There's a biological thing they can't do. I'm just saying. (laughs) Uh, Some things they do even better than men. Amen. I'll be the only man saying it in a meeting maybe, but that's all right. I'll be the only right one. They can sit there with their mouth shut. They make excellent leaders, whether you like it or not. Virtually all Christians, including evangelical ones, have come to the conclusion that the liberation of women is a good thing. Most Christian men are pleased to see their wives and daughters getting the best education, doing well in the workplace, leading in all spheres of life and enjoying profoundly equal marriages. A theological position that is not believed and practiced is hugely problematic. So if you're a complementarian on one side and then when it comes to the practice, you're practicing egalitarian things, isn't that a problem? The most rewarding marriages today are, guess what, egalitarian. The quote-unquote headship of the husband in the historic sense of the man making all the major decisions and being the quote-unquote breadwinner is no longer a viable option. And quote-unquote happy marriages are profoundly equal The most unexpected voice admitting this comes from the uncompromising complementarian person named Russell Moore, who, when he wrote it, was the dean of the School of Theology and senior vice president for academic administration at Southern Baptist Seminary. That's the uh, 
hive's nest of much complementarian thought. That's where it's coming from mostly. Quoting scientific sociological studies, he said most evangelical couples who claim to be complementarians are, quote, pragmatically egalitarian, end quote. That means they're practicing the equal thing. And often the wife gives the lead in those marriages. In these homes, the idea of male headship, he says, has been uh, reorganized along expressive lines, emptying the concept of all its authoritative content. This means complementarian Christianity is collapsing all around us, he said. What most couples have discovered, says Moore, is that, quote, familial Harmony, uh, relational happiness, and emotional health are the reward of profoundly equal marriages, not complementarian ones. Why he thinks imposing old-style patriarchy is the answer to the crisis for complementarians is rather confusing, to say the least. They just don't want to give it up, do they? He's seeing the signs, but he's not giving up. You know, in our churches, women, in our Christian churches, I should say, uh, women are exercising significant leadership in all but the most doctrinaire complementarian churches. Uh, they have been appointed as office bearers and pastors. Uh, excluding women from church leadership and from preaching is becoming even more difficult. Indeed, uh, this issue now divides complementarians. They're getting more and more split. Uh, many argue that male headship does not exclude women from preaching and teaching, only from being the senior pastor. And some do not think it excludes this either. Which brings us to another man, Wayne Grudem, the actual leader uh, of the complementarian movement. If you look, all the paper trails kind of lead to him. They give him a lot of props. Uh, he calls these people that are split the way they're thinking, saying one thing but doing another. They are one point complementarians and, and says many evangelicals are of this persuasion. These complementarians, he explains, teach that the husband should be the head of the home. Right. But they do not think this principle excludes women from church leadership or from preaching. So they're living a double standard. In Sydney, Australia, Anglican Diocese, um, where we're looking at right now, this issue splits the complementarian majority. A succession of archbishops in that movement since the 1970s, uh, all complementarians, have issued licenses for guess who to preach? Women. They have been uh, one point kind of men. They have been bitterly opposed by other Sydney complementarians who are two-point people. They argue the headship of the man must be upheld in the home and the church. Those are the two things, home and church. And this excludes women from leading a church and from preaching. Perhaps the English Standard Version Bible that I mentioned earlier that Grudem was in charge of editing will one day be revised when the interpretation of the ancient Greek in 1 Corinthians 11.3 is hermeneutically completed. Um, that should help to erase the debated confusion that he critiqued himself. Some nerve he's critiquing it, but he helped for this confusion to happen. 
by editing such a way of stating it in the word of God. Which brings us from uh, interpretation abuse to the abuse of women. In 2017, another issue shook the complementarian world to its foundations. Complementarians were confronted publicly by the fact that headship teaching can encourage needy, controlling men, of which there is a significant percentage in every church and among the clergy, to be abusive to their wives. I've seen it myself, my God. Preachers telling their own clergymen who had been beating on their wives and took, taking them to be counseled and telling these men, you need to be refilled by the Holy Ghost. This doesn't make any sense, you know, things like that being stated to these men. But worse, it was the common experience of abused women that when they looked to their conservative evangelical pastor for help, they all too often were not believed that, you know, it really happened to that extent. And they were even advised to accept the leadership of their husband and his abusive behaviors. Isn't that something? This problem in evangelical circles has been brewing for some years, well before 2017, uh, but was always suppressed or denied by complementarians. This was something they did not want discussed and definitely would not acknowledge as a big problem. They tried to sweep it under the rug. <laughs> However, after the Harvey... Weinstein scandal, you may have heard about that, which broke out in October 2017. The issue boiled over for evangelicals. The kettle started whistling a piercing call that could not be ignored. On social media, there were hashtags, hashtag me too, remember that movement, and hashtag church 224. Large numbers of, of evangelical women started coming out and speaking uh, against their, the abuse they were uh, experiencing in their homes by men who justified their behavior by insisting that their wives should just simply obey them, quoting headship teaching in support and of the failure of evangelical pastors who helped them. Isn't that something? Later in December 2017, 140 leading evangelical women from diverse and political backgrounds uh, began an online petition, hashtag silence is not spiritual, where those who felt the issue of abuse of women in, in evangelical churches needed to be addressed and things needed to change could sign their names on a petition. And the author, Pastor Giles, he signed the petition early in January 2018 with other Christian leaders who signed, 6,000 other leaders. So this thing is getting really, really big. The two spoken and unspoken questions in all of these posts were, does complementarian teaching encourage needy and controlling men to abuse their wives? And second, does complementarian teaching lead complementarian men to condone the abuse of their wives? Hmm. Now, let's look at another controversy in a major Christian denomination. Let's look at what happened with the Paige Patterson scandal. Uh, in the latter part of the 20th century and the early part of the 21st century, Patterson was one of, uh, if not the most, 
uh, powerful and influential leader of the Southern Baptist denomination, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States of America. He was a key player in the conservative victory over the moderates in the Southern Baptist seminaries and is a leading complementarian. He helped draft that Danvers statement of 1987 I talked about earlier. Uh, Early in 2018, a transcript of a recording of an address he gave in 2000 was published. In this, he tells a battered wife, she had two black eyes at the time, to stay with her husband, quote, even if he gets a little more violent, end quote. Just pray for him and at home, quote, be as submissive in every way you can and elevate him, end quote. At first, he refused to modify his words or recant them, but later, under a lot of pressure, he tried to rectify the situation, backpedal a little bit, say it differently, whatever. But this pressure came from very large numbers of Baptist women who, in an open letter to the trustees of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, of which Patterson was the president, called on them to censor Patterson. Their initial response was to ask him to resign, but when he was uh, revealed, when it was revealed that he had uh, behaved improperly to women in other ways and lied to the trustees, he was dismissed on May thirtieth, twenty eighteen. What were the charges? Well, he counseled an evangelical woman to stay with her abusive husband and taught that abuse was not a reason for divorce. He also publicly objectified a teenage girl by commenting on her good looks and criticizing the appearance of many female theological students, you know, judging them based on her, you know. And what else did he do? In 2003, he pressured a young Southeastern college student where he was then president named Megan Lively not to report an incident of sexual assault to the police. What else did he do? In 2015, this time as president of Southwestern, when another young female student reported that she had been raped, he insisted on speaking to the girl alone so that he could, in his own words, quote, break her down, end quote. Didn't want it getting out. And finally, he lied to the trustees of Southwestern about all of these matters. And again, evangelical Christians, many of them complementarians, cried out, if this is how complementarianism works out in practice, can it be what the Bible is actually teaching? (laughs) Starting to crumble. Possibly no one put this question more forcibly and painfully than this woman, Beth Moore, the best-known Southern Baptist, they call her. In 2010, Christianity Today magazine called her the most popular Bible teacher in America. She has 863,000 Twitter followers, far in excess of any male evangelical leader. And as a Southern Baptist, she was, of course, not ordained and mainly was just kept at, you know, speaking to mostly women. She was allowed to speak in one bigger meeting. Somehow she was able to get to the stage. But some of those high complementarian leaders got so gruffy and hot under the color, turning red. One stood up and said, sit her down. Make her be quiet. My God. 
We've heard such things in other denominations, have we not? Where people are snatching mics from people's hands and telling people to be quiet and sit down, you know. My God, my God. But as a Southern Baptist, she was, of course, hitting that that stained glass ceiling. Well, she went too far. She overstepped her boundaries, you know. She shouldn't be teaching men like that. So she had long upheld complementarian teaching up to that point. However, in the wake of the Me Too movement and the Paige Patterson scandal, she broke ranks and wrote on May 3rd, 2018, uh, quote, a letter to my brothers, end quote, of complementarian conviction. She was saying her brothers, you know, of the complementarian conviction, she wrote to them. And in this uh, she says that she learned early to show constant, pronounced, humble submission and uh, not just proper respect. In other words, she was over humble, you know, even to the point of being abused, still humble. You know, she did that to evangelical male leaders to accept frequent unjustified criticism from them. She was told she had to do that and to be ignored and talked down to by these men. She was told that that was the way of women in so many words. You know, sometimes it's the unspoken rule, right? But in late 2016, when it emerged uh, that key evangelical leaders' views of women smacked of misogyny, objectification and astonishing disesteem. She spoke right on up. She said, I came face to face with one of the most demoralizing realizations of my adult life. Scripture was not the reason for this colossal disregard and disrespect of women among these many men. It was only an excuse. Sin was the reason. It was ungodliness. End quote. Holy Ghost was on her. She was bold, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, at, at this point in time, she came to accept and acknowledge that, quote, many women have experienced horrific abuses within the power structures of our evangelical world, she said, and male evangelical leaders have been silent. She says the same evangelical leaders quote, who are quick to teach submission are often slow to point out that women were also among the followers of Christ in Luke 8, and that the first recorded word out of the resurrected mouth of Jesus was the word woman in John twenty fifteen, And that same woman was the first evangelist, <laughs> end quote. These men love to turn to the household codes in their sermons where wives are, to, uh, are told to be submissive, um, but are slow to also point out the numerous women with whom uh, the Apostle Paul served and, and for whom he possessed obvious esteem towards. She concludes that what is now demanded is a roundtable discussion, but will they do that? where there's no uh, one bigger and everybody's the same and they're talking, amen, decently with respect to each other according to biblical standard, real hermeneutical biblical standard, amen. Can they have a roundtable discussion where these issues can be faced and addressed honestly and openly? My God. So in this study, we're going to continue to think about the historical and cultural context in which biblical passages uh, have been set. The historical and cultural construct of male headship is not to be interpreted as freedom to interpret 
domination and inequality. The subordination of women was not a creation-given construct, and the Bible should not be interpreted in that faulty uh, doctrine. The Bible chronicles the effects of that very malady and reveals the better way, the eternal way, the perfect way that our loving Lord Jesus, our God, the creator of all, the Lord of all intended. Amen. And may his love continue to transform us, making us his agents of wholesome teaching and healing. We of the realm of Agape Christian Church pray that the Holy Word of God has richly blessed your soul. To send prayer requests, use the contacts page of our website, www.roagape.org. We need your continued prayers and financial support to maintain this ministry. You can also find a secure means of donating on our website. God bless you.